Hello and welcome back to the Relationship Matters podcast. We believe relationship matters from humanity to nature to the larger whole. I'm your host, Katie Churchman, and in this episode, I'm talking with senior faculty member of CRR Global, Maddie Weinreich, about how we can be more alive in love in our most intimate relationships. This conversation introduces proven relationship skills and invites us to take a bird's eye view of our partnerships. Themes across the episode include how we can take a more conscious approach in how our partnerships evolve, using coaching tools which give us a snapshot of where our relationship is right now and develop a vision of how it might be in the future, learning how to address common pitfalls which inhibit trust and intimacy, and the five elements necessary for a thriving, intimate relationship. Maddie Weinreich is one of CRR Global's most experienced coaches. While Maddie excels at coaching and training business teams, her passion lies in supporting couples to become the dynamic architects of their own relationship. She custom designs coaching programs for couples to achieve the vision they have for their personal and professional lives together. So without further ado, I bring you Maddie Weinreich, talking about Alive in Love. Maddie, welcome back to the Relationship Matters podcast. Always so happy to have you on the show. Katie, it's so good to be here with you. Thanks for bringing me back. I'm excited about where we're going today. Yeah, I'm so excited about this topic. My heart is buzzing. We're talking about Alive in Love. This is work that I've been working on for the past maybe 20 years in terms of bringing a more aliveness to couples and to their relationships. I'm very excited to share this with you and to our listeners. So I'm, I'm curious about this title and this topic and what it means to be alive in love, because I guess some people might might think that's a given. Surely love brings aliveness. Well, it does. And often in the beginning of a relationship, there's a lot of passion, a lot of dopamine flowing in the relationship when we first meet people. And over time, that can start to dwindle. And a part of what I take a stand for, what I'm passionate about, is how can couples keep that passion alive? How can they keep that vitality alive in their relationship? And there are ways to do that. Because I think there is that initial that initial buzz with so many things. And then as we start to get to know one another, maybe we stop seeing each other in, in the ways that we're growing, changing, and developing. And so... I am curious, both for my own relationship and also for our our listeners, how can we keep this aliveness in our most intimate relationships? Well, I first came to relationship systems coaching because I was interested in, in learning about this. As a little kid, I would watch my parents have conversations or arguments and think, oh my gosh, they both want the same thing, but they're not hearing each other and they're missing each other. And so as a little kid, I was out on a mission looking for, well, where are the couples that have vitality or aliveness or connection in their relationship? And if I stayed over at a friend's house, I'd look at their parents or my relatives, aunts and uncles or different people to see what was what was that aliveness. And there are ways to do it. And through my first marriage, which failed, it only lasted about 10 weeks. I thought like, oh, I'll figure that out, but I didn't. And then now I've been with my husband, my second husband for more than 40 years. And we raised uh, 
two sons together. And I wouldn't say that I have the answers completely, but I'm still on the quest to find out. I love that. I love also your your vulnerability that you bring to this conversation. I know sometimes when I'm working with couples, there's this sense that we've got to obviously be in the perfect relationship if we're doing couples coaching. But I guess what you're saying is the journey that we're on is exactly why we'll be good couples coaches if we can see that and learn from that. Yeah, you got it. And the only way we really learn is by trying and sometimes failing and not doing so well and then figuring out, well, what would be better? So getting back on the horse, that sense of resilience is important. So I guess my first question is, how do we know when we're a little bit stuck and the the spark is gone? Because I guess we want to catch it before it can be too late. Yeah. And in my mind, it's never too late <laughs> if, you're okay. willing, if you're willing to do the work. So sometimes it just takes more work to kind of change the relationship into a different or better direction. But noticing if you're having the same fight or the same argument over and over again, that can be an indication. If there's a, a lack of vitality or aliveness or you're just not excited to hang out or spend time with your partner, those are indications that that there's energy dwindling from it. Yeah, just the lack of satisfaction. And then what do we do with that awareness? Because it could be that one party's really aware of it um, and then the other party has no idea that the other is sensing that something's off. And so how do we even go about bringing up this slightly awkward topic? I, I love that you said that, Katie, because sometimes I think I read somewhere along the way that it, it takes seven years for a couple to reach out for help. <laughs> so they've been in the pit for, you know, this, the mud for about seven years. And, and then they realize, oh, maybe we should do something about this, or maybe we could do something about this. And often couples don't realize that they can have it different, or they can have it better. Oftentimes, couples are saying, well, if only you would be different, our relationship would be so much better. Oftentimes, one person is okay. They're able to go along with the status quo, like, I can tolerate this. It's not so bad. So one is going along and the other is saying, I want more, or I know we could be, there could be more for us. So oftentimes, people don't even realize that something could change or that they have options or possibilities. It's kind of a sad realization when we sometimes think about the fact that so often we bring our worst selves home and uh, our friends or our colleagues get better versions than perhaps our, our most intimate loved ones. Yeah, that, that that awareness for some reason makes me sad, but I guess it's also useful to, to be aware of. Well, I, I totally agree with you. No one can trigger us more than the person who's sleeping six inches away from us. <laughs> when I realized that, I was thinking... I was- <laughs> wait a second, what's up with that? There's somebody right there. If we could actualize our potential, if we could come together, work together, connect on a, on a deeper level, there's so much more we could do having an ally with us rather than having that person be our enemy. And that's part of what also got me interested in this work is how could we actualize the potential of being in that relationship of having somebody right there for us, really supporting us. And John Gottman, you know, does a lot of work with couples. And he says, relationship masters honor each other's dreams. They encourage each other's dreams. And what if you could help the relationship turn in a direction where you could honor each other's dreams, where you could call each other forth, where you could support each other. There's so much more you could accomplish 
uh, being part of a couple than you could as an individual in many ways. I love where you're pointing us because uh, I think so often we can feel like we dissolve into a couple and there's a sense of we or oneness. And obviously oneness is a wonderful thing and it can sometimes feel like parts of you get diluted. And so is the Gottman material sort of saying that actually we should hold those parts of self and be true to those within the relationship? Yeah, for sure. And to really encourage each other. And I was part of a, a think tank for couples for many years with a few other coaches. And we got together regularly and talked about different things. And then I came up with a, a model that I think is really helpful for couples where there are a few elements that you can focus on to help your relationship have more vitality and have more aliveness in it. And that's where alive and love uh, birthed, got birthed. I'm very curious. So what are the five tips that I need to take into my evening this evening? There we go. So, uh, <laughs> so there, there are five areas and I'll, I'll just kind of say the five and then go back through them to tell you a little bit more about them. But the first one is autonomy, having a sense of self like you were just talking about. Um, the second is interdependence and being connected and open to the influence of the other. The third is intimacy. And there are so many more ways to create intimacy in addition to sex, uh, but intimacy is important. Uh, so is friction, how to have conflict with your partner health in a healthy way. And that's often where people are conflict avoidant or have different things going on. And that can be really helpful. And then having a vision of where they're going together. So those are the five elements that it's distilled down to in my mind. And are these things then you saw in the most successful couples, the relationship masters, if you will? Yeah, that's that's what I found. And it starts with knowing yourself. Who are you? What's important to you? What do you value? Really, when in uh, terms of Orsk, owning your own land, like knowing what lives in your land, what's important in your land. And and really being able to take a stand for that and to know what you need, what you want, and being able to speak about that and talk about that. That's the emotional intelligence that we each bring to that. So you have to be a whole person. Otherwise, if you go in as sort of a half person, you can wind up being codependent in your relationship and thinking, oh, it's your job to make me happy. But if you understand autonomy, you realize that it's important to make yourself happy that you're, you're the place where it begins. Such an interesting point. I think about some of the couples coaching I've done and the third entity model and how hard it is for some people to stand on that first, that EQ corner and to own the I position. Because I'm so used to saying, well, you, you are, you're always late. You're never doing anything. Yeah, it, it's got to start with yourself. So, and And just like you said, some people don't even know what's important to them. They haven't thought about that. They've just been taken over by the relationship. So that sense of autonomy, who am I? What's important to me? What do I value? That's a starting place. Relationship starts with self. So you have to have your own relationship with yourself. And that's important. So if a couple came in and you sense that at least one of them was really struggling to understand really what they want, what would be your 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 first coaching instinct? Well, I think of the land's work visualization. So that takes them a little bit into the dreaming level and it's a visualization so they can start to imagine and picture what their land is like. So that might be a, a good way to start. 
And often couples who think they know each other really well and they think, oh, well, I know my partner's going to answer this way or I know my partner's going to answer this way. They don't realize what's important in their own land and how different they really can be. So taking them, that's the first thing that just pops up in my mind, as you say, where would I start? I might start with that land's work visualization. That's fascinating. So do you think that sometimes we can get so lost in the other and the other's land that we actually forget about our own? Yeah. Or we could abdicate our own. Oh, your, your land is so interesting. Like, I want to go over there. And that's great that it's interesting. But what do you bring to the table? What do you have to offer? That's, I think, what's really important is to own that and to, to to enjoy that because then you're that gives the relationship something to create from, which is the next piece, which is interdependence. So you have to have like this is what I this is how I feel, this is what's important to me, this is what you feel, what's important to you. How can we start to create something from the best of both? So each has to have something to offer. So that autonomy or that baseline is really important and relationship. Mm. I didn't even think about so often lands work is my way or the highway, but actually that compromising of self. And if you've sort of forgotten what's in your land, actually, you're not bringing anything to the table. Right. And you need that to create from. Mm. And that's, and that's the interdependence is about being open to the influence of the other. So this is what I have to offer. This is what you have to offer. And what part of that what part of what you have to offer is interesting to me and what part of what I have to offer is interesting to you. And that's where collaboration happens and co-creation and something new can get born in the relationship when there's that sense of interdependence. I bring these qualities, you bring those qualities. How can we work together? How can we build on the best of both to create something new for us? so that the us gets born there. How can we really listen at this level though? Because I imagine like what's interesting to us, we might even have that annoying thing our brain does where it plays, well, I've already had this before. I know that's not interesting. That's got nothing to do with me. How can we stop that from getting in the way of us really listening at this level? Well, I, I like that. I call it the game, but the I don't know if it's a skill or uh, what it is, but the yes end. So if we think, Uh, Yes, like from what you're saying, this part of what you're saying is the yes for me. And what I would add is this. So so, sometimes uh, that's often something I help couples learn and play with is yes and because most of us are caught in the no but. No, but we can't do that. No, but I don't like that about you. No, but this this is your problem. Those kind of things is how we often show up. But if we look at what do I appreciate? about you? What do I enjoy about you? What do, you know, what do I want to acknowledge about you? That's interesting. That starts to have our mind go a little bit differently than the critical part, which like you said, can be really loud. Like, here's what I don't like. And if you can talk about, this is what I don't like, then you can say, well, what do you like? Or how would you want that? What would be different? Mm. So it's, it's really about turning the conversation more in a way and having your mind work in a slightly different way. So you're looking for and listening for what is interesting. What do I like? What, oh, I like that part of you. I hadn't thought of it. Or I like this attitude that you bring. It could be something as simple as an attitude or a way someone does something that's interesting. And when you speak about that with someone else, that gets them lit up and that gets them interested in collaborating with you as well. You know, I'm hearing um, getting out of our own way, but also getting out of the way of the relationship as well, because we preempt and we plan so much. And even with yes and, I, I love that example for this. We can sometimes end up building our own chain of ideas 
as opposed to building and collaborating on the offers that have been given to us. And uh, what you're saying makes me think if we need to get out of our own way and get out of the relationships way so that it can really do its thing. Absolutely. And it's who are we together? Mm. That's also what we're looking at. You know, you brought up the third entity exercise. You mentioned that. And that's where we're looking from the voice of the relationship. The relationship sees this person who's got autonomy and this person who's got autonomy. So what is the relationship experience given that each brings something to the table? And that's the part that's really interesting. That's the part that that's the spark of when we first connect with each other. There's kind of a magical moment when we meet somebody that we care about for in an intimate relationship. Often there's a spark. There's a I'm going like this with my fingers, but it's like, you know, this kind of juicy place. And that happens when the two come together and we want to actualize that. We want to build on that. We want to grow that part of us of who, who are we together? What's the nature of our relationship? What's the personality of our relationship? Who are we? And, um, and I, I just find that really fascinating. And the who are we journey, does that ever end or is it constantly evolving? I think it doesn't end. I think it's ongoing because as we we continue to grow as individuals, which is normal, then our relationship needs to grow as well. And our relationship goes through lots of different incarnations. We call the myth change. There's so many myth changes in a relationship over time. Being conscious and intentional about those changes really can bring a lot of information to us and aliveness to the relationship as well. Mm, so um, different from how I think the the cultural narrative sets us up that who are we? Well, when we're married, that's it. It's sort of solidified in photos and with a ring. And then the work stops. But actually, when that happens, surely that the work should just continue on. It just begins. <laughs> when we get together, it just begins. There's so much that goes on because when there's you and me and, and then we create a we, well, there's going to be conflict that comes from there. And and how a couple works with conflict, you can it can either help shut the relationship down or it can open the relationship up. And that's the next piece is friction in relationship. How, how do you work with friction in the relationship? And if you think of it as like the sand that gets into the oyster that becomes the pearl, <laughs> that's friction. <laughs> that's friction. So oh, that's if, brilliant. If you think of it that way, uh, that's very different than trying to be right all the time, uh, because that's often where couples get into a lot of trouble is I'm right and you're wrong, which is so diminishing. Look, I do it myself. So I'm not saying like, I've got this figured out by any means. Um, but that that I'm right, you're wrong is is so difficult and challenging in relationships. And often those toxins that Gottman speaks of, he calls them the four horsemen of the apocalypse, but they they deteriorate the relationship really at a rapid rate. And once those kind of get going, those toxic behaviors and relationship, it's hard to reel them in. It, it is doable. You can change, but you have to be willing to take responsibility for uh, if you're being toxic in conversations with your partner. I'm curious about this this transformation of, of issues or problems. And uh, it makes me think of obstacles do not block the path. They are the path. Have you seen relationship master sort of include and transcend these these so-called problems and issues and turn them into an ally then over time. Yes, and it, that's the that's where couples have to roll up their sleeves. Mm. That's the place that's really challenging. So the first part is awareness, I think, and just realizing 
what you just said or how you were just being was actually toxic in relationship. And when I educate couples about these and their blame and criticism is one, stonewalling, defensiveness and contempt. And when couples realize that they're doing it and if they, again, kind of go back to self, oh, I was just critical there. Oh, I left the conversation. I was actually stonewalling. And I I often just have them just note it themselves without without saying anything, but just to notice when they're doing it. And then the next step is often tell on yourself, tell your partner, you know, in that conversation we had last night at dinner, I think I was being kind of defensive or I think I was kind of, I'm being kind of critical right now, aren't I? I, I, Let me see if I can stop myself. So telling on themselves is, is like a second step. And then, and if your partner tells on themselves, it's not to pile on like, yeah, you were critical. Like, (laughs) don't do that. You know, that doesn't go very well, but just, you know, if you hear someone was critical, then that might be an opportunity for you to say, well, actually, now that you say that, I realize I was defensive too. That starts to change the co- the shape of the conversation, and it starts to go in a little bit of a different direction. And then, and then there are other antidotes that we have that we share with people, other ways to work. Because often, when we're being toxic in our communication style, there's something that we're going for. There's an intention that we have. Often, it's some form of protection in some way. And we're being toxic to protect ourselves. And we think that that's protecting us, but actually it's making things worse. So once we realize that and find other ways to say, oh, I feel like I need to protect myself right now, that's very different than acting in a defensive manner. And that softens the relationship and helps people be a little more vulnerable so they can hear each other better. The toxins are a lifelong journey. I have a sense of now. I think uh, when I first came across this material, I thought, okay, I understand this now. I'm going to get rid of these from my life. Uh, but they just show off in different ways and perhaps more subtle ways. Um, like stonewalling, a great way I do that sometimes is when I'm looking at my phone because I don't want to engage, say, with my husband. That's a really subtle way of stonewalling. Are you finding the same that they're a lifelong journey. I'm, I'm finding that when I work with couples, they're often saying, you know, my partner's on their device while I'm trying to share something that's really important to them and for me. And uh, th- and they, the people struggle with this. Mm. Again, I do it myself. Just like you said, you know, I can easily be at the dinner table checking my email while we're having dinner. And it's like this quiet moment that we could be enjoying each other. So that's another way, like learning about conflict and how we do it and what's our role in it. And do we want to keep doing the same thing and getting the same result? Or do we want to try something a little bit different so that conflict couples who can really debate really well and with positive intent and without using those toxins, those couples really can go far. Just because you fight doesn't mean that your relationship is doomed. It's how you fight that has to do with the amount of vitality in your relationship because I do work with couples and they they really are they have very different opinions about things and they express them as long as they're not putting down their partner for the opinion that the partner has but they're listening you can be passionate and you can argue and you can fight and you can even be unskillful a little bit and that can actually create a catalyst for growth in your relationship because from those differences you can create something new if you're both the same and you get along all the time, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's you go along to get along and that can be kind of complacent. Mm. Uh, when there's some friction in the relationship, it's like that pearl that forms in the oyster. It can create something new that's really quite amazing. And it takes a little bit of 
risk to be willing to have those kind of scary conversations because they can be loud and they can be boisterous, but they can also be creative. And there's a creative energy that lives in that kind of friction. And sometimes we have to practice to get good at that. The world needs more of that, I think. Um, I was just imagining sort of having those kinds of conversations out of intimate relationships and in the political base, how we're so polarized. There's binaries around so many parts of our lives. And it feels like every relationship system could do with more of this. That's right. Yeah. There, there can be a lot there. And once there's that actualizing new energy or new aliveness that can come from friction, what's also important in relationships is positivity, intimacy, connection. And that's another piece that's really important in relationship. And I think once you've had the fight and, you know, you, then you're good to go. It's like, well, let's connect. How do we connect? There's lots of ways to connect. Of course, you know, often people think, well, sexuality is intimacy. And yes, it is. And and there are other ways to be intimate as well. There's uh, you might have a good friendship with each other. There might be a spiritual connection that you have. There are lots of different ways to connect and be intimate that people don't even realize count there's emotional intimacy. Maybe you share your feelings with each other. All those different kinds of things create that intimacy. Sexual intimacy is important too. That's often what brings couples together initially in that early stages of relationship. And that can certainly thrive throughout your relationship as well. So that need for connection, the need for building positivity, again, referring to Gottman, he talks about that you need a ratio of five positive to one negative interaction. So those positive interactions, that intimacy, that connection is really important to build in relationship. When, when I'm working with couples, we're doing two things. We're looking to decrease negativity while we increase positivity so that there's positive sentiment override in the relationship, more positive than negative. And Gottman says you need five positive to one negative. And boy, that takes work. It doesn't just happen. In the beginning of a relationship, yes, it does happen easily, automatically, effortlessly. Uh, couples connect and uh, they just, they love each other and they dream into each other and it's really easy. But once the relationship gets going and there's been some myth changes and maybe some difficult times in the relationship, you have to actually work to create that positivity. You have to put it on the calendar, like here's where we're going to get together. Or you have to put your devices down at the dinner table and have those connection, connective conversations. So that's really important. And I wonder if you can talk a bit about the type of positivity as well, because I think we're hearing a lot about toxic positivity right now in the workplace. And I imagine this could be true for our personal relationships too, that that positivity for the sake of it. And that's taking away from that third point about actually having the hard conversation, but having it in a skillful way. So by positivity, it's not, oh, everything's amazing, love. Oh. I like it. I like how you said love. Everything's amazing, love. So, yeah, po positivity can show up in so many ways. And it can be just like sending a text, mm. uh, thinking of you. It can be just that simple. It could be an emoji that you send with heart or a smiley face or something like that. And But it's got to be consistent and ongoing. It doesn't have to be chocolate and flowers and dates and date nights and all that. Of course, that's important, but it's really the positive regard that you hold mm. for your partner and that you assume positive intent with what they say, because somebody could say something one way, 
And if you've got more negativity in the relationship, it's going to be perceived in a negative way. No matter what they say or how they behave or what they do, you're going to, if it's, there's a lot of negativity in the relationship, you're going to assume they're out to get you or they want to, you know, they don't like you or they're putting you down or they're criticizing you. Whereas if you have that ongoing positivity, it's almost like feathers in your nest, Mm. right? If you feather the nest with positivity or um, appreciation or acknowledgements, all of that, then whatever is said, you hear it through a positive lens. And so you assume, oh, if they said something negative, oh, they might be having a bad day. You're you're easy to forgive and it's easier to recover in the relationship uh, when there's more positivity than negativity. And it's not like sweeping things under the rug. Yeah. Like I said, like, and for me, in my mind, this comes after that friction piece because you've got to be able to have the friction, but then how do you recover if there's been a wounding or if you've hurt each other unintentionally or you've been unskillful with each other? If you have that intimacy, that sense of positivity built up, you can forgive, you can recover, you can move on. Mm. So could it simply be, thank you for having that hard conversation with me? That's simple. That's simple. Mm. Gee, or, hey, that w- I know that was tough for you to share that. I really appreciate that you reached out there, or I appreciate that we had that difficult conversation. Let's go have a cup of coffee together, you know, or let's take a walk together, or let's hold hands or something like that. Or um, I can see that was hard for you. That kind of appreciation and acknowledgement is really important. Catching each other, doing something well, and acknowledging that goes a long way. Because whatever you put your attention on, I, I, you know, I say this to couples a lot, whatever you put your attention on will grow. If you're complaining, whatever you're complaining about, you'll probably get more of that. Mm-hmm. If you catch somebody doing something that you appreciate or that they do well or that you acknowledge you'll probably get more of that. So where you put your attention and what you talk about in your relationship is what will flourish. So that's just, it's important just to keep that in mind. And to, like I said, it's not about sweeping things under the rug, but it's really acknowledging who that person's being and how they're showing up in the moment. That's what builds the intimacy and the positivity over time. I'm wondering, I heard on another podcast, a guest once said that it's important to continually sort of big up your partner. So, you know, really just think the world of them. And I wonder, what do you think of that as a technique? I think that's brilliant. I think that's brilliant to just, you know, this this is what I appreciate about my partner. This is what's important, what they do well, all of that. Uh, really, like as you said, big them up. I think that's really <laughs> Yeah. And that that makes you turn towards each other. Mm. So when you're being seen for who you are uh, and your good qualities, that will make you want to do more of that. And that'll have you turn towards your partner so that you can create that intimacy together. And I guess then it's useful to be aware of that when they're not in the room and when you're having those side conversations, perhaps with colleagues or friends, because all of that's still in your system because you're a part of that, that system of two. Yeah. That's the positive gossip, you know, positively gossiping about your partner is a really good thing to do to others, but also then to bring it back to your partner. Yes. I was talking to these people about you. Here's how I was bragging about you. Uh, You know, I was kind of proud of what I had to say about you. And uh, here's what it was, because people need to hear that often what we hear, a lot of what we hear are the complaints. Mm. Even though there may be positivity in the relationship, we do need to articulate it. It's important that people hear uh, what's going well and what's important. 
uh, as well as if they if there are complaints as well. But then it's more balanced. Uh, but if 90% or 95% of what you hear is complaints, it, it's not encouraging. It doesn't help you move towards each other. That can have you start to turn away from each other. And I would say even with the, if it was 50-50, with the brain's negative bias, we're not going to hear the positive ones. They're going to be drowned out by the the complaints. And so I think we really need to work on that positive piece because we've got this outdated operating system up here. Got it. Exactly. So we've got to make the effort. Mm. It's like after the dopamine wears off in your relationship, you've got to actually make time for the relationship and you've got to make time for the positivity. You've got to make an effort to do that. And it's a habit. Once you get into the habit, you can keep it going. Uh, But if the habit is complaining and criticism and blame and things like that, then you've got to... To, you know, take a left turn and to do it a little bit differently. I feel like the title of this podcast could have been what to do after the dopamine wears off. <laughs> that's a good talk. That's a good name. Call it that. I think that's good. What to do after that works off, that wears off. I love it. Um, and, and then, the, you know, kind of the, the final piece on this, the capstone on, on this, what creates an alive, thriving, vital relationship is having a vision of together, of where you want to go. What, who do you want to become together? What, what's your future look like? What do you both want to create together and co-create together? What is it? Sometimes couples don't have the same vision and they're not aligned. And then that can cause trouble in the relationship. So having conversations about that, who do we want to be in 10 years? Where do we want to be? It's the practical, the day-to-day things, but it's also the dream of who do we want to be? How do we want to be together? How do we envision ourselves uh, as we go down the line? And having conversations about that is really important. I'm so glad you're underlining that. I think there's still a, a common misconception about couples coaching that it's problems focused. And uh, my husband and I right now are, are going through couples coaching and it's really for that visioning piece. Um, and we think about coaching for many other areas of our lives. And yet we don't think about it for this, this piece often that is the most important of all. And um, it's a real privilege to sit in those conversations together and decide actually consciously, intentionally, who do we want to be and what do we want to create in this world, in this life together? Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it could be the a paper constellation is really good for this particular activity. Looking at here's our relationship now, here's what I want. And then here's what you want. Let's look at that together mm. and and stimulate each other, get ideas about who do we want to be or how do we want to show up together. Uh, there's also another activity we do in ORS called bringing down the vision, which is really about what's a vision of our third entity. If we go into that uh, essence level of, uh, you know, what's an image or a picture of our relationship and start to look at that together. That's another way to access who we want to become and how we want to move forward in, through in our life together. And often couples don't have those conversations. Maybe when, again, when they first get together, they think, Oh, I want to have a family or we, yeah. you know, this is where we think we'd like to live. But once you're in the relationship, now, what do you want? You know, how do you, how do you want to grow the next 10 years, the next 10 years as you look forward? So that's a really important conversation to have. I wonder if a lot of couples don't know that they actually get to, get to ask that question, that they have a choice. Beautiful. Most couples don't realize that they have choices and options. And that's where couples coaching can be really helpful (laughs) because we often think, oh, this is the way it is. Mm. This is the way my partner is, or this is the way I am, or this is the way marriage is, or this is what relationships are. And now that we've got 
lots of thought leaders in the field doing work with couples and, and lots of couples coaches, we realize that the couple can be empowered to create what they want, that they can actually be the architects and designers of their relationship, that it's not it's not set in stone at all. It's not even set. They actually, every couple gets to design and create their own life together. And that's cool, you know, because it's open and there's lots of possibility. It's also a bit of a responsibility. How are we going to be together? What is it that we want to create together? Yeah, it's cool, but you're right. It takes some looking in the mirror for sure, because suddenly you have some agency in that. You have a lot, you have much more agency than you realize. And I think that's what, that's where the ORS coaches, I think that's the good work that we're doing in the world is we're making that available to people and showing them that they can reflect, self-reflect and look at the relationship, but also they can vision, they can imagine, they can dream. We can take them into that dreaming level. What do you long for? What do you want? What's your high dream? What's your low dream? You know, what do you want to have happen? And then how do you make that happen? And that's what we often do in coaching. So I think that any any couple could use a couple's coach just to facilitate those conversations, just to help them go someplace new together. I'm curious, with all your experience and also with your, is it 40 plus years of marriage? 40 plus, yes. I'm wondering if you can share a bit about how this has impacted your most intimate personal relationship and that marriage. For sure. So I'm trying to think back when we first got together and how it's been. There have been so many ups and downs in our relationship over the years. Just so many challenges. I can't even begin to tell you. And learning about, I, I had this drive before I knew about ORSC or coaching or anything. I had this drive to have a really great relationship. I want, it was something that I wanted as a kid. I thought, I think it's possible. I don't quite know how to do it. And then as I eventually got to coaching and to the ORSC program and looking about how to have different kinds of conversations and how to look at each other differently. And my sons were still at home uh, when I started the program and we're still close as a family of four and we have conversations and we really support each other. We get together for brainstorming conversations about what does everybody want to do? Is there a project we want to do together as a family? We don't always do things from it, but we have these really rich conversations that has us be very close together. And um, I was just telling you before, uh, before the call that my oldest son just got engaged and, and we're all just, we're all excited for him. It's, it's as if it's happening to all of us, uh, the, the fact that he's doing this and it just feels really good. So I, I believe that the ORSC principles and, and I would slip that in at the dinner table because, you know, you don't want the kids to say, Oh mom, don't do that coaching thing with us. <laughs> uh, so I'd slip it in at the dinner table, different things about our third entity as a foursome and when they were still home and uh, just different ways of, of looking and having conversations. And I really think that those conversations have made us a closer family. It's beautiful. And um, it really talks to that ripple effect because yeah, we're doing this work as a couple, but it also has an impact and alive in love. It sounds like, well, yes, your son's getting married, but you can feel that love too. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I, and I don't know if I hadn't done all this so that I would, ha I would be that way, but I am so thrilled and excited for him and for that. And our family's growing. So we were four and now we're going to be five. 
uh, you know, as they bring in their partners to our family, we get to expand and grow. And there's a lot of excitement around that. It's gorgeous. And uh, it's been absolutely wonderful to be in conversation with you, Maddie. Thank you so much for sharing so much of yourself and also your expertise. And uh, I can't wait to have you back on the show in the near future. Katie, thank you so much. And uh, just thank you for all your listeners who listen to these podcasts and get information. Um, we're really excited that I feel like there's a movement happening uh, for couples to have richer, more exciting, more empowered relationships where the couple has the agency. We have our own individual agency, but couples have that agency and those options as well. So thanks for bringing this uh, to the to the public. Thank you, Maddie. Take care. Thanks to Maddie for that wonderful episode around how we can be more alive in love. Here are my key takeaways. Couples don't often realize that they can have it different or they can have it better. That there are options and possibilities. We don't have to maintain the status quo if it's no longer serving us. We can actualize the potential within our relationship by becoming each other's allies, supporting and encouraging each other in our individual and collective dreams. Maddie is leading the Alive in Love program a two-hour interactive virtual workshop designed to renew and refresh personal relationships. Alive in Love supports any romantic relationship, even those in the future. This includes partners in a committed relationship which could use a burst of fresh energy, partners who want to start their blossoming relationship off on a positive note, those who are currently single who plan to enter their next relationship with more awareness and intentionality. For upcoming dates or to book on to the February 2nd course, please visit crrglobalusa.com forward slash couples hyphen workshop. Thank you for listening to the Relationship Matters podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your colleagues and friends so that we can continue to spread these ideas across the globe. And if you haven't already, do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you never miss an episode. And for more information on the ORS courses, please visit crrglobal.com. For over 20 years, CRR Global has accompanied leaders, teams and practitioners on their journey to stronger relationships by focusing on the relationship itself, not only the individuals occupying it. This leads to a community of changemakers around the world. Supported by a global network of faculty and partners, we connect, inspire and equip change agents to shift systems one relationship at a time. We believe relationship matters, from humanity to nature to the larger whole.